Good morning, church. Hey, actually, before we sit, can we remain standing? Sorry, well, we're going to read our passage of Scripture together uh, as, a, as a congregation. And, and this is the word of the Lord to us. We're in Judges chapter 17 and 18 this morning. I'd love to just read us the first six verses and you follow along as I read. Here is the word of the Lord. Judges 17, verse 1. There was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. The Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. He returned the money to her and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord in honor of my son. I will will have an image carved, an idol cast. So when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol. And these were placed in Micah's house. Micah set up a shrine for the idol and he made a sacred ephod and some household idols. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. Verse six, and in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This is the word of the Lord to us today. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, what a, what a passage. And, and with that, happy Thanksgiving. I mean, we walk in and this is the passage we are, we're at today. Um, and this, I will say, is one of the most interesting, one of the most weird, one of the most seemingly random cold openings in a story in all of Scripture. And hang on, the story even gets a little bit stranger. Um, I mean, just think about what we just read. There's a man named Micah. He steals money from his mother. The mother places a curse on the person who steals it. He's afraid. He gives it back. And the mom says, well, bless you. And now, in honor of what you've done, I'm going to make some idols on behalf of the Lord for you. And then he takes that same theme, sets up some more idols, and makes his son, hey, son, what are you doing? Let's, you're my personal priest now. And verse 6, though, is the key. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. You see, when we've removed ourselves so far, when we've removed ourselves so far from what's right in God's eyes, we'll end up doing what seems right in our own. Or when we don't know what's right in God's eyes, or when we've abandoned what's right in God's eyes, or when we suppress it or disobey it, We will do what's right in our own. And the people of Israel are living in chaos. And that's where we are in the story of Judges. Um, Listen, um, in moments like this, you get to a passage like this, and already kids and adults alike can be like, what did we just read? This is weird. Um, This is a passage all about idolatry and the results and the effects of which. And I, and I would just say, I would say, I'd invite us to pray one more time here and just pray that God doesn't, doesn't allow us to miss it. Because whenever we enter in a passage like this, I do think, I think the Lord might want to kind of cut, cut us at the heart a little bit. And so I would just, I'd just say, let's pause real quick. If you don't mind, let me just pause right now and just, just pray into this moment. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would allow us to hear 
discern? Would you check our hearts? Would you give us ears to hear? And, and God, would you draw us to yourself? Remind us of your grace and the beauty of Jesus. But in that, may you also, God, if you need to expose things, do that too. But we lay this time before you and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, welcome again. Uh, my name is Nick Schreiber. I'm the care pastor uh, here at New City, and it's always a privilege whenever I get to preach God's word to God's people. Um, I hope that your Thanksgiving weekends and breaks were great. Um, I hope that it was time for you to get to kind of just be reminded of God's goodness in your life. I think a phrase I, I've been using personally has been, Lord, help me not take it for granted. Help me not miss it. Help me to realize all the goodness that you've given me. And as a Christian, no matter what circumstance we walk in, we can say those things. Uh, we can say that the Lord is good and he's worthy of our praise and worship. Um, I'm one of those that got their Christmas tree this, over the last couple of days. It's in our living room, but it's not decorated yet. That might be what we do today. But again, I do hope that you had a great break. If you're visiting or joining us today, we're so glad you're checking us out. It is definitely an interesting passage to jump into, but we as a church have been walking through the book of Judges for the last couple months, and it's been an amazing journey. I, I hope that you've, you would say that. Um, last week, we finished up kind of the two-part series to Samson, and Samson is the last uh, of the judges, like kind of that we get to kind of dive deep into. He's the last of the six judge cycles. And if you remember the book of Judges, how it's framed, there was a double introduction, uh, which is the first three chapters, and then there's these six judge cycles. And the cycles, again, if you remember, is the people of God sin, they turn to idols, they rebel. Um, they, God ends up disciplining them, punishing them. He sends oppression on them. And they, in the midst of that, they, they do that one word prayer that God wants us all to, to have and be ready for to say, help, God, help us. And so God then hears their cry, responds by raising up a judge to deliver them. He does so, and then they live at peace for a season of time until it all happens again. And they jump back on the Ferris field. They jump back on the ride and they just do it. And that's honestly the pattern of all of our hearts is that we're so quick and prone to idolatry to, to again, think that we can do it on our own and we move away from the Lord. But the Lord and his grace doesn't leave us there. Well, we've done that six different cycles now through the book and we're now entering the, the concluding chapters. And the concluding chapters is really the author just says, you know what, I'm gonna give you two main stories. Because again, when you want to have people feel the effects of what it's like to, to abandon the Lord, sometimes all you need to do is tell them a story. And, and today I'm going to share one large story. That, that story has three parts to it, though. Three acts, I'm going to say, like a play. And so if you're in here, it's almost like hopefully you feel like, all right, we're going to just get a big, long story today, and we're going to learn some things as we go. And then next week as well, Pastor Rodney will close off the whole book by telling you the next story, which is chapters 19 through 21. So today, if you have a Bible and if you want to follow along, we're in chapters 17 and 18. And what's happening is, is the author says, you know what, I'm going to now move you from the big, large, overarching general framework, and I'm going to move you to the ground floor. I want you to feel like what it's like to kind of live in the life of the Israelites in the midst of chaos, in the midst of idolatry, when you're not living for God. 
What's it like to live according to your own ways and according to your own eyes? What's the effects of forgetting God? And that's a question I think is good for us. What are the effects when we forget God? What would be the effect for you and your family if you were to say, you know what, we're going to kind of do our own thing. We're going to forget God's grace, God's goodness, God's, God's moral standing and code. And we're going to do our own thing. What would be the effect of a church that did that? You know what? We're going to start chasing after these things, and we're going to kind of forget what God's called us to, our mission. God's called us to, to love Jesus, to worship him, and to love our neighbor. What's it like if you forget, if you forget God in that way? What's it like for a people? What are the effects if you forget God? And that's what these remaining chapters show. Three act, one story, and each of the acts shows a person or a people who's wanting something, who's needing something, and yet they, they, they're left lost. So story number one, or I'm sorry, act number one, you see Micah, Micah and his mother, verses one through six. And what is seen? I mean, we read it. I mean, just picture, you're trying to picture with the dynamics. I mean, I, I'm, Micah's an adult son living near his mom. That's kind of what the custom was. He was married, has a kid, but he ends up stealing a large amount of money from his mother. His mother places a curse on that person, and out of fear of the curse, not necessarily out of fear of the Lord, he comes and returns the money to the mother. And you kind of get the sense that it's a very religious family, superstitious family. Micah doesn't want to, to get the mean eye of whatever higher power and you see this mixture of, of kind of a conglomeration of, of, of what they're doing or worshiping. Because in the one sense, you see these things that are kind of good. I mean, Micah does return the money, but again, it's not for the right motives. His mom does bless him in the name of Yahweh, but I don't pick up that she knows Yahweh or the family doesn't really know the heart of God. And, and then because she then dedicates the money, which is also kind of good, but dedicates it to make idols. And you, gotta, you go, man, this, if this isn't a scene or a picture of spiritual or moral confusion, then I don't know what it is. And honestly, just think about our world. Do you think this is kind of a good picture of our world, spiritual and moral confusion? Where, where you know, I, I kind of, I, when, I, when I'm not following after God's ways and, I'm a, and I live apart from the Lord and I no longer know what's right, I, don't, I no longer know what's true, then I'm going to start piecing together things to worship that I like or that I want or that make me feel good. Now, we as humans, we're all worshipers. You're going to worship something. God's wired us that way. He's placed eternity in our hearts. We're going to worship. But when we no longer know what's true and we've moved far away from God, we're going to worship just whatever we clamor after and what's easy and what keeps us in control and we see that happening here, that they worshiped in the way they, they wanted to. And whenever you do that, who is God in that scenario? We are. You know, you, you look at the Old Testament, and the people would craft idols according to what they wanted to see, and they'd bow down. And any time you make a God and you worship it, you are an idolater. Well, for us as a people, too, likewise, man, anything that I place in my heart above God makes me an idolater as well, because that's an idol. And in our culture, I would say, and in our own lives, I would say, we are prone towards idolatry. We do 
we do take things and we say, you know what, I love Jesus, but I'm going to add this into it. I still feel like I need to earn his favor or do works, and so I'm going to do that together because Jesus just isn't going to save me by grace and through faith. I need to do something. Or, you know what, I, I love Jesus, but I know he says this about this way of life. I don't really think he, I don't really care. I'm going to do my own thing. And we add into it, and we see this happening, and what happens then is we end up creating our own way of life, our own religion, and that's what this mother and her son Micah do. They make their own religion, and they're left far from God. You know, what's interesting um, is that God is on their lips, but idols are flowing in their heart. And I do, again, just see in this passage, this idea that oftentimes we, if we're not careful, and myself is here included, God can be all part of my lips and my, my, my pattern, my way of life. I can attend church. I can pray at meals. I can say all these things and do all these things, and yet idols can still be running rampant and, and reigning in my heart. And I would say for those of us, and when we're entering into a season, the Christmas season, where the Lord's name rightly is going to be on our lips a lot. We're going to be talking about it as families. We're going to be in church talking about Advent. And yet this also is a season, man, if we aren't careful, those toys that look so good at Target or whatever at Amazon, whatever the next thing is, the, 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 the fun events could become idols. The things can become idols. And so I just say, this might be a very relevant passage for us as we think, what are we joining into our life that's taking rain in our hearts? All right, so the curtain closes on Micah. And we'll see a few more things about him in a second, but the act two opens up and another character emerges. Look at verse seven. One day, a young Levite who had been living in Bethlehem in Judah arrived in that area. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live. That's a key phrase. And as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. And so you see the plot thickens, the stories converge. And so you have a young Levite. Anytime in scripture you see the term Levite, you think priest. Because the Levites were the, son, the tribe that they weren't given inheritance in land, but they were given this special privilege, this inheritance to say, you get to be the people that serve the Lord as priests, that serve the Lord in the temple. And so you have a young Levite who is on a journey. He leaves Bethlehem, and he's leaving it in search of another place to live. And just so you know, Levites in that day, the tribe, they were given certain cities to camp out in amongst all the other tribes. And so those are the cities that you'd go, and you'd set up places of worship, for God's people to gather. Bethlehem was not one of them. So already you start to see that this Levite was in a city that he wasn't supposed to be in, and now he's in search of another place to be in. When you think of this Levite, you're thinking he's a person searching. But he's also a person living in disobedience. 
because he's not moving towards other Levites. He's not moving towards Shiloh, which is where the, the main uh, tent of, 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 of meeting was. He's not meeting toward, or going towards some other thing. He's kind of that person who's trying to find their way on their own terms. You know what? I'm not really happy with the way of life I've been given, how I've been raised. I want bigger and better things, and he falls into that trap, and he goes and he looks for it. Well, he happens to end up at Micah's house. And Micah, he's like, wow, a genuine Levite priest at my doorstep? God must be blessing me now because this is amazing. And he starts saying, hey, won't you come be my personal priest? I'll give you clothes. I'll give you food. I'll pay you. I'll even, I'll even give you shelter and security. I'll take care of you as my family. And so the Levite... <laughs> For him, he's like, I made it. This is what I need. This is what I've been looking for. I have purpose. I have, I have luxury. I have comfort. And he agrees to become his priest. You feel bad for the son. All right, son, go back to the sheep pen or whatever it is. You know, like, don't need you anymore. But he does all this to the neglect of, the fo- of following God, to the neglect of obeying the Lord, of honoring him. And he really ends up becoming a, a priest on, for hire. And he is not a true shepherd, but he's for sale. And he now doesn't serve in the name of Yahweh, but he serves in the name of Micah. And he gave all that up for the comfort and security of living in the home of an idolater. And again, we see here in this theme of this story with the Levite, something I think is relevant. This idea that, hey, you know what, let's make our way on our terms I need, I'm, I'm, I'm searching, I want an easier and better life, I want luxury, I want comfort, I want convenience. And here you have this idea of cash over calling or comfort over conviction. He's chasing money and it ends up, well, it ends up going to be playing out in some sad consequences. But you get back to verse 13, the last verse of chapter 17, and you get back to Micah. And so Micah installs the Levite as his personal priest and, and Micah is overjoyed because he's like, man, I know something about the, the law of the Lord, and Levites are better than my son. And so to have a, a personal Levite as my, my priest, this is great. And he says, the Lord will surely now bless me. And in that verse, you kind of see what's underlining in Micah's motives. He wants the blessing of God. He wants the favor of God. Now, there might be some genuineness to it, but I would say there's also probably this manipulation to it. If I do this, very transactional, it's, it's this idea of conformity, and I'm going to do the ritual, and that will then make God do this for me. And, and we see it being this very way of conjoling God. If I do this and you do this, I'm trying to receive the blessing of God without really trying to encounter God. How many people, I mean, some of us, I, I mean, just, just think about this in your own life, we, we kind of, we want the blessings of God, but we don't really want God. And that's, that's a convicting thing for me at times. God, I just want all these good things, but do you really love me? Do you want me? And I think that's what's at stake here because I see Micah really just going through the motion. I see in here this kind of this prosperity gospel that's, that we see in our culture today. But if you do these certain things, the Lord will bless you and you will receive everything and you miss the whole point. Is life in Christ, life in Jesus that's good, that's not the way of the world, 
but that will lead us to everything we long for. Tim Keller says, he says, religion's true purpose is to get God to serve you. Gospel faith's purpose is to get your heart to serve him. And I just say that last phrase, I just would make that my prayer. Lord, help my heart, my affections move from this way to wanting to give all to serve you because of my love for you. And in this, God is not the least bit pleased. And Micah, although he thinks it will cause the blessing of God, is actually going to cause great despair. So now let's move the, the curtains down on the Levite and let's move the curtains up on the third act, chapter 18, the tribe of Dan. You see this corruption of this whole tribe. Verses 1 and 2. Now in those days Israel had no king, and the tribe of Dan was trying to find a place where they could settle, for they had not yet moved into the land assigned to them, for when the land was divided among the tribes of Israel, so the men of Dan chose from their clan five capable warriors from the towns of Zorah and Eshtaol to scout out a land for them to settle in. And so again, the tribe of Dan, Dan was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel, and they were called to move into the land. Moses leads them to the kind of edge. Joshua ends up moving them in. We're going to come into the land, take what the Lord's given us as our inheritance, and we're going to drive out the peoples of the land, the Canaanites who serve other gods, and this is going to be our place. God's going to establish us here, but they delayed. They had not yet moved into the land assigned to them. They were still homeless. Now, they did try, but they were beaten back by whatever people were there, and they got beaten back, and they became kind of, kind of semi-nomadic, and they ended up getting stuck, so to speak, and they ended up getting complacent. And now it's years later, and they see things establishing in the land, and they still feel left out. Now, they're south of Judah at this time, so if you're thinking about the map, they're at the south side. Now, their land that they were given as an allotment was just close to there, towards the coast a little bit, but they were almost there. But you see here, this is a story of lack of contentment, it's a story of greed, and it's a story of them taking into their own hands what they, what they want. And they send these five spies into the land. And guess whose house they come to? They come to Micah's house. And the five warriors arrive, and so the story converges. And while they're, there, while they're there, they recognize the accent of the young Levite. And they say, hey, where are you from? Why are you here? And the young Levites are like, well, I'm, I'm Micah's personal priest. And they're like, really? All right. Hey, tell us, will God be favorable on our mission? Well, and again, this priest is going to say whatever you want him to, whatever they want you to hear, or hear, yes, say. And, and so... And so he says, yes, God is watching over you, and he will be favorable. He is watching over your journey. He sees you. He blesses it, but he doesn't. But he says that. And so the five men, they go, and they, they travel 125 miles north, outside of the designated land of any of the tribes. And they find this land that's fertile, that's, 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 that's kind of populated by peaceful people. And they say, that's where we want to go. Look at it. The Lord must want us to have this. And so they end up going back to their tribe. And in verses 8 and 9, this is what they say to their tribe. They say, come on, let's attack them. We've seen the land and it's very good. What are you waiting for? Don't hesitate to go and take possession of it. What's that remind you of? That phrase, we've seen the land and it's very good. Eve, 
Look at the apple. It's pleasing to the eye. Samson, you saw it last, in the last couple of weeks where his senses seduce him. God must want us to have it. So often we think that, that, that our, our will, our desire is what the Lord wants. And sometimes, man, if we're, not, if we're not framing that around truth and his word and his will, we're going to be so lost because our emotions, our feelings, our, our ideas are going to go way off. And yet, they go after it. And we see even this echo of the 12 spies being sent into, into, into the land by Moses. And so it seems like the tribe of Dan is like, you know what? If we just do the right procedure, we'll get the right outcomes. And so let's just do the right motions. Let's go with the motions and we'll get the right outcomes. So let's send the spies. We got a blessing. Let's come back. And now what happens is they gather the whole tribe, 600 warriors, and they move. But what ends up happening is that disastrous consequences await them. And a major theme in our passage today is that idols take and they leave you broken. Idols take and they leave you broken. And we're going to see that in each of these stories. So the tribe of Dan, they set out from the place in the south. They're armed with weapons of war. They head back to the house of Micah. We're back! 600 of us now. Except when they get to the city where Micah is, or his little area, they're at the gate, and the 600 men are talking to the Levite, and they're talking to Micah, but the five warriors sneak into the house, and they take his idols. These idols must be something. Let's take them. And so they take the idols. Now the Levite ends up noticing what's going on and confronts them. What are you guys doing? And in verse 19 of chapter 18, this is what the tribe of Dan says to the Levite. Be quiet and come with us. Be a father and a priest to all of us. Isn't it better to be a priest to an entire tribe than for a household of just one man? Bigger and better. And the Levite, verse 20 says, the young priest was quite happy to go with them. And he leaves he leaves Micah. And I just hear in this question, or in this scene, I just hear Jesus' question of, is it, is it better to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And that's, again, why I see such a sad moment here for Levi, or for the Levite, because he's just going to keep doing it, and we're going to see it leaves him empty. So anyway, they, they, they take the idols, the tribe of Dan grabs now the Levite, and they're on their way. And they leave, and they're going ahead. And Micah finds out, and he grabs his family, and they start chasing after them. And so, and they catch up to them, and they confront them. And it's this interesting kind of statement where the tribe of Dan is like, what are you doing? And, and, and Micah, in verse 24, he says this, what do you mean, what am I doing? What do you mean, what's the matter? You've taken all the gods I've made and my priests, and I have nothing left. Now, if that's not a telling sentence in the whole story, that's like the theme. I have nothing left. Everything we worship that's not God will lose. Think about that in our lives with our idols. The things that we worship that are not God are going to go away. They won't be sustained. 
they'll either break, they'll fall apart, they'll be stolen, or they'll realize they don't, they're not gods, or they'll die. I mean, I mean, sometimes we worship people. Everything that's not God will lose. Idols never fail to fail. And we see in this moment, I think it's one of the most sad verses in the, in the, in the story. And actually, it gets even, even more sad. Because Micah confronts them, and the tribe says, Listen, if you fight us, we're going to kill you and your whole family. And so verse 26, it says that Micah saw that there were too many of them to attack them, and he turned around and he goes home. And can you imagine that walk home? Everything's just been taken from you. You realize your idols aren't worth it. They can't sustain you. The things that you put your hope in got carried off, which is so ironic because the one who we put our hope in carries us, will never leave us, will never forsake us, is strong, is real, is powerful. And you have, you have Micah, when he worships idols, has this very hollow way of life, very, very fake, it's very weak. And that's what idolatry does. Idols take and they leave you broken. But then you see... The, the sad ending with the tribe of Dan. Because they take Micah's idols and his priests, the men of Dan, they keep going to this town 125 miles north. They get to Laish is the name of the town. And this is what verse 27 says. They attack it with swords and they burn the town to the ground. Violence, murder, taking. The people of the tribe of Dan, they rebuild the town and they live there. And, that, and they renamed, they're renamed the, the town Dan. And so you have this tribe that's born into God's people Israel, but they now live outside of God's land. You have this tribe that they're no longer listening to God's word. They are now worshiping him in an entirely way that's at odds with his standards. And, it's, and it leads them to be outside of everything he's called them to. And in verse 30 and 31, the last two verses of this chapter, the last two verses of the story, this is what it says, the sad ending. Verse 30 says, Then they set up the carved image, and they appointed Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, as their priest. Now, who is Jonathan? Jonathan is the young Levite. And who is Jonathan? He's the grandson of Moses. Now, why do you think the author leaves his name out of it till the very end. Well, I think like all good storytellers, there's some, there's some dramatic effect here. It emphasizes, like, do you see what's at play? But I also think what the author's doing is he didn't want it to, to he didn't want to have who he was take away from what he was. The author wanted us to see he was a Levite, he was a priest. He was one who should have been leading God's people into God's ways, and yet he wasn't. And now we even see that he was the grandson of Moses. I mean, think about that. Just three generations later, and the, the, the grandson of Moses is now leading an entire tribe outside of God's land that Moses helped them get into in pagan worship. I don't know if you've heard it said, this, this phrase of, the first generation accepts the gospel. The second generation assumes it. The third generation loses it. Now, it's not, that's, just a, that's just a principle. It's just something to think about. It's not, it's not a rule. But it is sobering. 
And you see it here in the story of Moses' line. And, it, and it's sobering because me as a dad, and I think about my kids, and I want them to know the gospel, and yet it could be so easily missed if we're not careful. And again, what's the effects of forgetting God and leading? In the, and so we as parents, as families, man, we have a, we have a calling the Lord's calling us to lead our kids, talk about his glories, talk about his goodness, pray, because it's up to the Lord ultimately. Surround our kids with people who love Jesus and keep sowing the seeds of, God, of the gospel. Because we see this sad glimpse of what happens over time as people chase after idols and they live according to what their senses lead them in. And you have Mike and you have the tribe of Dan who's left broken as well. And they're worshiping other gods. And what's interesting about the tribe of Dan is that in Revelation, the book of Revelation, there's a list of the 12 tribes. And it's talking about the, the, the God's, God preserving his people. But the tribe of Dan is not mentioned in that list. It's almost like saying, you've, you've kind of forsook your, your glory, your inheritance. Although they don't stay there, they do, the Lord does take back that, like he does take their, like the exile comes and, and they get dispersed. It's just a sad ending to the story of the tribe of Dan. Talk about ripple effects though of, of our actions. The very idols that, that Micah and his mom make end up becoming the idols that a whole tribe is distracted by for generations to come. And it is very, again, a reminder of us that idols, will, they take from us and they leave us broken and they leave us, lead us into foolishness. But here's, here's the last thing I'd say. This is what I hope that you and I hear and that we realize. This is what I hope and pray for Micah too, is that he would have heard that idols take and they leave you broken, but God gives and God will never leave. It's just my, that last phrase is just my way of saying that God gives and, 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 and finds you. Everything that you want and hope for and are searching for can be found in God, in Jesus. So you see these three people. You see Micah is looking for the blessing and favor of God. You see Levi, the Levite, Jonathan, who's wanting and searching for his place. You have the tribe of Dan who really is searching for their, their inheritance, their land. And Jesus is like, man, if you would just turn to me, I can give you all that. I've given it to you. I think for us too, the, 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 the reminder is like, wow, come to, come to Jesus. These idols will either crush you or you need to crush them. And I pray that we would hear from this passage again through this idea that God will give us. Jesus is the, is the, the one who can satisfy all this. And actually, Tim Keller says this. He says, Micah was blessed in that he discovered the emptiness of his God before he died when it was not too late. Micah's the only one in the story that we don't really know the outcome of his story. The tribe of Dan, we know their, their end. Jonathan the Levite is going to do it for generations, and his whole family is kind of gets stuck there. But Micah, oh man, I just, I think about his journey home, and I wish somebody would tell him there's a better way, there's a true way. There's a stronger way. Hey, as we close this morning, whenever you come to a, a passage like this, that's, the theme is idolatry, 
it, I think the right response for us is this idea of repentance. Because again, we know our hearts are so prone to idols. And so I just would like to, Reza and I are going to kind of set up some space for us to just kind of be quiet before the Lord. And again, this is a great way to start the Advent season anyway. To kind of think about, Lord, what is in my heart that I need to confess to you, that I need to give to you? You know, a part of repentance is this idea of turning from something towards something. Turning from greed, turning towards generosity and in, in, in living for God or sacrifice. Turning from idols to the living one. You know, and so this idea of what in your heart do you need to turn away from and turn to? Take just a moment, kind of get quiet, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of read us kind of like a liturgy that will help, help move us into thinking about the Lord. to look honestly at our own hearts and see where we've fallen short. And Lord, we want to turn away from the way of sin and death and we, we, we choose, we, we want to turn towards the way of light and life. And so if we apologize, we confess and repent of the ways that we idolize money and security. And Lord, help us to turn from greed to generosity. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we chase after idols, idols that overpromise, idols that underdeliver. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we've spoken words that hurt others. Forgive us, Lord, for any sins that we leave in, in secret. And we know that you know it, so we confess it. We say it to you in our hearts. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we defend our sin with excuses and blame. Forgive us for the ways that we allow our culture to direct our hearts and minds. Forgive us for the ways our lips say one thing, but our hearts say something else. Forgive us for the ways that we at times overlook the needs of others. We confess these. Wash our hearts. Create in us a new, a new spirit, O Lord. We turn from darkness to light we turn to you, Lord Christ, our source of everlasting joy and hope and peace and forgiveness. And we thank you for grace. We pray all this in Christ's name.